Welcome to 365 Draft, Episode 5. Uh, I am Kyle Krabs of NDT Scouting. Uh, here on 365 Draft, as you may be aware by now, we talk all draft all year. So, uh, you guys have been asking for it for a couple weeks now. Uh, since I first came out and said I was going to be doing a podcast, uh, there were a number of folks who expressed the interest of Hey, Kyle, when are you going to get it on iTunes? You know, we want to subscribe. We want to listen in the car on our way to work when we're at the gym. And that time has come. Finally, it, it took some uh, technical difficulties on my part. Uh, recently just purchased a new computer. It's my third in as many Junes. So I decided with the required purchase of a new computer I uh, would do something with a little bit more practicality so I'm officially off of my uh, Google HP Chromebook I have a HP pavilion now so we got a little bit more processing power and we're gonna put it to use here on 365 graphs so um, if you are unfamiliar with my work uh, we do have the archives available uh, on the iTunes store uh, for you to subscribe to or you can also find it at ndtscouting.com itself. Um, my work at NDT Scouting is all NFL draft player evaluation. Uh, I am a senior draft analyst and syndicate partner with the fine folks at draftbreakdown.com. If you are a draft junkie in any way, shape, or form, I'm sure you are well aware of everything Draft Breakdown does. I do want to give a shout out. They recently brought on a good friend of mine, Jeff Risden, uh, who recently had. Uh, open heart surgery and who is healing his way up and uh, he is now a fellow senior draft analyst draft breakdown so Jeff um, hope you're feeling well my friend and uh, congratulations on the gig with draft breakdown I know um, everyone I have spoken to is very excited to have you on board today uh, we are going to be looking at the idea behind draft value and looking a little bit deeper uh, we want to look at what the expectations are for first-round talents, um, second-round prospects, third-round, all the way down the list. Um, by and large, especially with the realm that we are working as external individuals who do not work for a team, who do not work for a system, uh, the nature of declaring a prospect as a quote-unquote first-round talent or a first-round pick is fairly arbitrary. Uh, what makes that player a first-round pick? What are you, you know, for some for some folks like myself, uh, they put more of an emphasis on players who you know can step in and play right away. Those are the players, the the better quality players who can play as rookies. They are the ones that I covet as first round potential first round picks. 
where other players are looking at ultimately uh, what is this player's ceiling, how good could this player be if everything goes right, and you kind of get this mismatch of, of different philosophies, and it really blurs the line between you know, what the expectation for some of these guys actually should be. Uh, so I think moving beyond just the concept of this player is a first-round pick, but actually evolving and expanding that realm into something that I know for a fact in speaking with a couple of colleagues that I have, uh, teams do much more of than you know. I think a lot of folks realize is they try to place a career trajectory on prospects. They say, okay, this is a multiple Pro Bowl type player. This is a starter in our system from day one. This is a traditional depth player. Um, the, the talent probably is not going to lend itself to a starting NFL career. Uh, those kinds of approaches really help provide some additional context. They help sharpen the line between a first round pick and a second round pick from our mouths as people talking on the outside. So I think that is something that would be very helpful for a lot of folks to be able to do is to place uh, general barriers, if you will, on their tiers that they conduct. Uh, NDT scouting works with 12 categories and tiers for player evaluation. Uh, I'm going to work through them all real quick and just kind of elaborate on it a little bit. And just to give you an idea of how I approach adding additional context to the declared range that I've scored a player with what their expectations should be for their career. Uh, first and foremost, top 10 values. Uh, notice how I'm not saying top 10 picks. Because no matter what, there's going to be 10 picks that come first every single year. You're going to have the first 10 picks. So I'm not trying to forecast and say, this is a player that is going to be the first overall player. This is a player that is going to be a top 10 player. You're not looking for where they are going. You're looking for where they should be going in accordance to your scoring evaluation system, your personal philosophies. So top 10 values. Uh, these are players that are multiple Pro Bowl type players. These are potential franchise cornerstones, players that you can build either an offense or a defense around, provided that you are, are working within the system that suits their strengths as players. Uh, inevitably, every player has strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so say this year's only top 10 value player for me was Marcus Mariota. I think I feel as though he's a has the potential to be a true franchise cornerstone uh, quarterback in the NFL. Um, that is perhaps a bit lofty when you look at some of the other players at the position, you, you Jameis Winston. Uh, and Winston scored, he was my fourth overall player this year. Uh, but he did not score the top 10 value, and that was dictated by numerical scoring. I do numerical scoring on both my film score 
and all of my peripheral metrics through size, production experience, and athleticism. So I still think highly of Jameis Winston. Uh, I did not give him a top 10 overall value, uh, but those are supposed to be rare. Those are supposed to be what you believe are the cream of the crop. Um, in the last two years, MDT Scouting has given out a total of five in order from highest scored player to lowest scored top 10 value player. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, Khalil Mack, Anthony Barr, Jake Matthews, Marcus Mariota. Those are the only five in the past two years that I have scored out as top 10 values, players that you feel maybe not right away, as we saw with uh, Jake Matthews and as how we, we very well may see with Marcus Mariota this year, uh, not elite Pro Bowl caliber plug-and-play starters, but they're plug-and-play starters with the expectation that they're going to be multiple Pro Bowl players throughout the course of their career. The next tier down is your first-round talents. Uh, each of the past two seasons, NDT Scouting has assigned 18 and 16, respectively, first-round talents, players that, uh, to put it into words, uh, these are highly productive plug-and-play starters for the year one. Um, I, I like to envision the draft itself as being two separate events, uh, days one and two, and then day three. Days one and two, uh, this this will be elaborated even further as we get into the, the second round tiers. Uh, you're looking for starters. Uh, you're looking for players that can start right away. In my personal philosophy, you're looking for players who uh, can fill a spot in a starting lineup. Uh, whether or not that means you are looking for drafting for need or not, that is not how I approach it. Uh, however, that is you could justify that line of thinking with best available at positions of need. Uh, but that's another talk for another day. Um, your, your first round talents are your plug and play starters with the highest ceilings, highest potential ceilings. Uh, moving down, you have early second round players and second round players. Again, just like with the first round, you broke it. I've broken it up uh, you're looking for early second round players being picks 33 through 42. Uh, these are players that are worth a top 42 selection. Uh, they may only have moderate ceilings, uh, so they may not be coveted as first round potential prospects, uh, but they're those strong values that you know teams would be willing to trade up for overnight to be able to get their crack at their guy to again fill a spot in the starting lineup and be a above average NFL talent from early on in their, their NFL playing career. And then you get into second round talents. Uh, for my expectation, these are plug and play average NFL starters from day one. Uh, they may have low ceilings. Um, a lot of offensive guards come to mind here. Guys like Gabe Jackson, um, I believe he ended up sliding a little bit deeper than that, but he was somebody that I gave a early second round grade to, but went later, but the expectation is still there 
that this player is going to fill a spot in our starting lineup. And I think that idea in its own right is another important one to elaborate on is as we get deeper down into the in day three, when teams are actually making selections, um, in theory, those players should not be NFL starters from day one. But yet guys like Jameel Douglas with the now the Miami Dolphins, who was formerly with Arizona State, um, is getting looks with the ones already in OTAs. And he went in the fourth round. So how does that happen? Well, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for what the Dolphins draft board was. But I had Douglas with a second-round value. And there were plenty of players that I had up inside my top 50, 60 on the board. I had Douglas, I believe, 55th off the top of my head. And, you know, my expectation and my evaluation was I gave him a second-round value. This was an average NFL starter from day one. Now, for whatever reason, players end up dropping down because the variance from team boards is so wide across the board. So you find yourself with players like this that you have in your top 60 overall, and you hit the beginning of day three, and he's still on the board. So obviously you're going to pull the trigger. So I, I just want to elaborate that these are values and projections, the tiers of top 10, first round, early second. Uh, these are not all players that get picked in this range that should be your expectation for because teams don't think of it the same way as I am verbalizing how I personally view talent evaluation and the expectation for where I have players slotted on my board. So I think that's just a, a one quick note that I think, you know, would help provide some context if anybody is listening to this, especially if you missed the initial intro uh, and you're just hearing me speak at length about what your expectations should be for second round talents. Um, keep that in mind. Is there so much variance between each and every individual and each and every team, their personal philosophies? So that's where you'll find your true value with something like this when you are working with like-minded individuals and comparing boards that way as compared to uh, me viewing and philosophizing about the draft in, in one particular fashion while someone else may look at you know their uh, values and, and their core beliefs about you know, what you covet in a player, and it might be totally different. Once you get down into round three, you know, we've spoken about two sections for first round picks, two second sections for uh, second round picks. Now, once you get to the third round, this is where, you know, you might have a little bit of a hard time finding uh, plug and play starters. There's only so many. And as it turns out, there's even fewer than what the draft frequently uh, dictates during the player evaluation process that there are. Uh, these are players in my evaluations uh, it seems to have been a central theme, is potential starters in year two. These are your stereotypical offensive linemen who need that extra year in the weight room. These are uh, a cornerback or a defensive back who's got really great ball skills, but his footwork's terrible and he needs to clean up his technique. Um, these are players that 
win with a specific trait and a specific talent as they are now. And you would expect, and you're drafting those players to continue to win with that skill set. But their additional skills may be a little bit rough around the edges. So you may not be willing or, or comfortable with starting these players from day one. And that's fine. Those will be the players that take that quote-unquote redshirt year, um, whether it was uh, Justin Gilbert took a redshirt year. Um, he was a player that I had a first-round value on uh, in 2014. It obviously did not work that way. Um, that in its own right is another difficult portion of talent evaluation and one that I won't get too in-depth into right now, but it's very difficult for us on the outside to be able to uh, identify how a player mentally is going to be able to grasp their their responsibilities and you know the the playbook and the, the speed of the game. So that's just another wild card out there that you know makes us all look silly at times when you give somebody a, a high value and they don't either they do go there and it doesn't work out early on in their career or they do go there or they don't go there. So uh, those are the kinds of players that, you know, you hit the end of day two, round three, you're looking for potential starters in year two uh, that win with a specific skill set. Once you hit uh, round four, day three, in my philosophy, you're no longer looking for starters anymore. You're looking for, in the fourth round, quality depth and players that you don't want starting long term, but if there's an injury, if you have to shuffle around your offensive line, uh, these players can be spot starters for you, uh, and they can be uh, productive in their uh, roles uh, and be successful with what you need them to do when you're compensating how you call the game, how you play the game to accommodate them. So that will be a little bit more apparent with some players than others. Uh, quarterbacks, obviously. Um, teams who, who coach around uh, questionable or uncomfortable quarterback play, uh, it's very noticeable. They take care of the ball. They don't take throw the ball down the field. A lot of quick throws, a lot of running game. Um, so it may not always be apparent, but when you're drafting in the fourth round, in my personal philosophy, you're looking for talents that can be serviceable and not a complete liability uh, when they are inserted into the starting lineup because inevitably uh, it's going to happen with injuries in the NFL. It's just that player is going to have an opportunity to start a game more often than not. Fifth round talents. Uh, these are potential developmental starters long term. Uh, if you believe in that certain philosophy, then you can develop players and they can become uh, a greater pro than they were a college player uh, on account of just general improvement as a complete body of work as a talent. Uh, this is where you would be looking for those types of players. You could also be looking for productive backups. Uh, this, again, is something that is a little bit more relevant in some position groups than others. Uh, your sixth offensive tackle, your 
or your six offensive linemen, your your swing tackle, your um, play four spots along the line kind of guy, your wide receiver four, your nickel corner, uh, players that would see regular playing time but might not be starting caliber talents. But when you're factoring the lesser talent across the field from them in a one-on-one individual matchup as well, uh, in the sense of slot receivers, wide receiver fours, uh, nickel corners. Um, they can be productive players, even if they are not starting caliber NFL talents. Uh, so those are the types of players that, you know, that's my expectation for players that I have given a fifth round value to players that will play regular snaps and be productive, but will likely never push for a starting role in the NFL. Uh, I like to categorize uh, the sixth and seventh round values as largely the same thing. It's just um, obviously sixth round talents, I personally believe, are better than their seventh round counterparts when you're looking at two players at the same position. I would rather have the higher scored one, naturally. Uh, these are players that are career backups, the, the expectation is that this is never a player that is going to uh, be needed or used, probably a bottom 15 uh, player on a 53-man roster at any given point in time. But these are also players that will be utilized on special teams with high amounts of frequency. So he may not be a defensive starter, but if your fifth linebacker is a very strong special teams contributor, uh, he's going to be somebody that makes sure 53, and he's going to be a productive player, even if it's not on the defensive side of the ball. He's regularly not going to see snaps there, but he will regularly see maybe 15, 20 snaps a game, and his coverage is on point. He's a strong tackler. Those are the kinds of players that that's, that's my expectation for the, the, the players in this realm. Uh, for me personally, when I look at the sixth and seventh round, I'm looking at it as an extension of the uh, undrafted free agent pool. These are players that you want to prioritize. You get to pick two and say, I don't want this player to enter the free agent pool and have a chance to not come to my team. So you're not dra necessarily drafting them for contributions to either the starting 11 on offense or defense. You're drafting them because they can be quality depth and because they can contribute on special teams for you. Uh, I do have a special classification for um, priority undrafted free agents slash seventh round selection. So these are your fringe draftable players, uh, players that I think a good example from this past year would be uh, Gene Sifrin from Massachusetts, uh, very, very big body, a very prominent presence in the red zone, made some spectacular catches, but he was 27 years old. Are teams really going to use a resource, uh, an asset, and select a player who's going to be 28 before he plays a snap in the NFL? Probably not, but uh, this is a project player. This is a player that you could say, okay, you're either identifying that this is a supreme athlete that, you know, the risk at this point in the draft is worth the reward. 
or you're identifying that this is a player that has one particular trait that you feel like could contribute to your team in some way, shape, or form. So someone like Sifrin, say, you felt that he at 6'5", could be a very strong red zone presence, and you would just have him run seams vertically and win 50-50 balls uh, in the red zone. And that's all you would ask him to do. But at 28, you're not going to draft a player like that unless it's you know the very back end of round seven and you feel comfortable with using one of your draft assets on a player that will, by the time they mentally grasp the game, will be physically declining. The last two are priority undrafted free agents and undrafted free agents. The difference between the two is priority undrafted free agents, aside of the fact that they're the first ones you call as soon as the draft wraps, is there's practice squad potential with these players. Uh, these are players that you know you bring into camp, you know, you give them a good look. There's a low percentage that they make a 53-man roster, but if they do, it's going to be on again cutting your teeth on special teams and being able to um, provide quality depth at your offensive or defensive position. But by and large, these are uh, camp bodies that you're hoping you can slip through because you believe they have some developmental tools, slip through waivers, and be practice squad candidates. Uh, undrafted free agents are, and this is the cold hard reality of the NFL, uh, just your camp bodies. And if you are thorough in your draft evaluations, if you're working 250 plus players, inevitably you are going to start running into players that you just ultimately believe, no, this player does not have the baseline talents to play in the NFL. And when you reach those players, mark them as undrafted free agents. And the expectation is they won't push for an NFL roster spot. They won't push for a practice squad spot, but Teams need arms to throw in training camp. Teams need big bodies to line up along the offensive line in training camp and look, run look squad. And ultimately, a 53-man roster with training camps coming in at 90 people, that's going to be a high volume of your actual training camp roster. Uh, so, again, just to summarize, those were the, the 12 categories that NDT Scouting uh, evaluates players and, and divides them into tiers with those quote-unquote career trajectories paired with the draft value on where I covet those players and what my expectation is for players who are slotted in each of those 12 tiers. Um, that is unique to my personal philosophy, but obviously as you go, no matter what your philosophy is, uh, the expectations will decrease as you get deeper in the draft. Uh, some people may be a little bit more willing to put uh, extremely high ceiling players up there, even if they are going to need that red shirt year. Um, that's not how I try to approach mine. Again, there's only so much that we can know on the outside looking in as far as uh, the mental half of the game. But, you know, I try and base it off of the film evaluation and their peripheral metrics and, you know, size, athleticism, production, experience, and you know, if all of that adds up, that is my expectation on the outside looking in. So whether you are listening at uh, ndtscouting.com or if you are listening wherever you are on iTunes, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we have a lot of these 
lined up. We've got a lot of great talking points. And I've also had a few people reach out about potentially coming on and talking about their philosophy versus mine. So we have, uh, we have a lot on deck and I'm really excited to continue this throughout the summer and, and really help keep my eye on the prize as an evaluator and you know, not just get caught up in data collection, but interact with you guys as listeners. And oh, it's, and 365 draft has only been up on iTunes for approximately 24 hours and we've had a great response rate with subscribers already. So I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, you can reach me at ndtscouting.com or on Twitter at ndtscouting. Um, and until next time, thank you guys for listening. And I'll, uh, I'll be speaking with you all again very, very soon.